This is the Horse Radio Network. Well, good evening, everybody. This is episode 517 of the Stable Scoop Show on the Horse Radio Network. It's our Equestrian Roundtable Show. Our sponsor of this episode is Arena Saddles and you, our listeners. I'm Glenn the Geek, founder of the Horse Radio Network and host of Horses in the Morning, the longest-running daily horse podcast in the world. Well, we have a great roundtable for you tonight. Uh, we do this twice a month, and I invite industry professionals and listeners to tackle the hot topics of the day in the horse world. It tends to be a little more serious than my other show, Horses in the Morning, So, uh, which that's more silly and just a lot of fun, and uh, this one tends to be a little bit more serious. If you're watching live, welcome. Please put in the comments where your, your, your first name and where you're listening from, because we can't always see your names in the comments, and all the panelists will be able to see it too. Uh, Chattanooga. We have Chattanooga in the house. That's very cool. Love Chattanooga. Been there a few times. So uh, put that in there so that the panelists can see who where you're from tonight. And uh, you're welcome to comment in the comments about anything we talk about tonight. We would love to see your comments. We would love to see your opinions on, on the topics that we talk about. I think we have some good ones. So definitely uh, put your opinions in the comments as well. And if you have any questions for any of the panelists, put them in there. We got New York. We got Wisconsin, Tennessee, uh, a whole bunch of different states coming in already, Pennsylvania. Uh, so if you miss any part of this tonight, if you have to bail out on us, that's fine. You can catch the audio version, and you can catch it on the Stable Scoop podcast feed on any podcast player or at StableScoop.com. Tonight, we have a roundtable made up from members of the American Horse Publications. We're going to talk about what that is, and it's a group I've been involved with for a long time. And uh, it, so we're, we're getting to a little bit of the media side of the horse world. And we'll meet the panelists in one minute. However, there's something I need to remind you of is we are still taking reservations for the Horse Lovers Cruise 2022. This will be our fourth cruise. It's February 13th. Uh, we leave that day. We're going on a longer cruise this year. It's seven nights. That's a, granted that we're counting on cruising. We can be back by then. Let me just add that. It's the Royal Caribbean Harmony of the Seas. It's like the second largest cruise ship in the world. There's 6,000 passengers. So it's a little bit longer than we usually do, and that's because we wanted to do one of the bigger ships. Uh, we love this size ship. It is so much fun. There's so much to do. There's 27 restaurants. I mean, it's just an unbelievable ship. So uh, we're all getting together. There's 40 people. I think 20 cabins already signed up. Uh, we usually get around 50. You're st it's still available to sign up, uh, horseloverscruise.com. And the nice part is you can cancel before final payments are due at the end of the year. You can cancel out and get your money back. So, you know, if COVID gets worse or whatever happens or you don't feel comfortable cruising, you still have the opportunity to cancel out. So horseloverscruise.com has all the details. And our travel agent from MEI Travel, you can contact her, and she'll set up your cabins and talk you through it. She's been on the cruises with us before and is going again this year. So it's a lot of fun. There's This is not educational. This is a party, people. Uh, this is Horse Radio Network. We're not there to do seminars on cruises. I would rather sit by the pool. So um, we're there to party and have a good time with each other, do some karaoke and some dancing and just have fun. So it's a bunch of horse people getting together, and of course, they end up talking about horses. So that's, I wanted to mention that. One other thing, our title sponsor for many of our shows and our longest-running sponsor for 12 years is Kentucky Performance Products. They have a free sticker giveaway. They're doing these collector stickers. They now have one for winter and spring, and they just came out. Oh, I, I put two of the winters up there. They just came out with an eventing one uh, that is really cool. You can get them free. Just go over to kppusa.com slash free sticker. 
If you're watching this tonight, you're a listener, uh, a fan of the Horse Radio Network, you can get your free stickers, collect them, put them on your horse trailer or wherever you want to put them, your tack trunk. And uh, you can find those over there. A bunch of people have started getting their stickers already. So the products for doing that. First up tonight, we have Chris is with us. And Chris, of course, is with um, uh, the American Horse Publications. Uh, tell everybody what American Horse Publications is, Chris. Okay, I'm happy to. Um, it's a nonprofit association for the equine media industry. Uh, we celebrated our 50th anniversary in 2020. Um, the membership back then was about 20 equine print publications. And today, um, over 50 years later, that has grown to um, over 400. And it's like equine publications, multimedia and print, um, as well as the freelancers that support that industry. Photographers. Businesses. Like in, like yours, Horse, Horse yeah. Media Network is a member. Um, we've got equine businesses, organizations, colleges, and students all belong to American Horse Publications. I remember when I contacted Chris years and years and years ago when nobody knew what a podcast was, and I said, we want to join, and she, she was like, I don't even know where to put you. What's <laughs> <laughs> funny. <laughs> well, it became publishing media because now it's amazing what, you know, the types of media that are involved that are basically publishing. So um, it's kind of exciting. It took some of us who have been around for a long time, kind of like, you know, kind of a big deep breath to go from print to all the different type of platforms that are out there. But in the end result is we're all communicating with about the horse. So, um, and it, basically that's what we do. Networking, um, our key thing is to promote excellence in equine media. That's what makes us a little bit different than all the other organizations that are out there. We're focusing on, on the media part. Um, Can I throw in there, too, that uh, you also do the awards uh, for media? And uh, I know we've won a few of those over the years. And, and one of those awards that's brand new, you had the inaugural year, is the Equine Media Next Gen Award. Can, mm -hmm. And two of our panelists tonight have won that award this year. So tell us about that. I can. Let me just look, receive that a little bit. Yeah. With the, um, in 1993, we wanted to encourage students to become part of our industry. And it started with a silent auction to build a fund. And um, it went on to um, have a student award, which, again, I think that was probably about 1993 was the first student award. And then we created student memberships, student internships. So when you get to the next gen, that was kind of like the next step. And it kind of took us a little while to kind of like realize how to, to make that happen. Um, but we found out that when you looked at some of the students that came through those student programs, they stayed in our, in our industry and they became extremely valuable assets to the publications and then to their own, to the own community. So the next gen was like, okay, how do we now attract those different younger generations? I mean, all businesses look for that or, you know, industries are looking, how do we, and this was a way that we could recognize those young professionals between the ages of 25 and 35 who were active in our industry, either as a staff member or as a freelancer, you know, so that we can tell the world about them and to encourage and engage them in remaining part of our industry. Um, so that's where we developed that in 2020. And then we um, created this, the first award is 2021. We have two 
incredible young ladies that I'm very, very proud of. And one of them is actually a former student award winner. And one of our other panelists tonight is also a former student award winner and a past, past AHP president. So you can tell what this means and how rewarding it is for our association. Very good. Well, well explained. Thank you so much for doing that. I appreciate yeah. it. We're going to we're going to say goodbye to you now because we're going to bring on the panelists and everybody you just talked about we're going to bring on. So, oh, thank sure. thanks Chris. Excited. It's been and uh, thank you for everything you've done for us at the Horse Radio Network over the years. You've been uh, very kind. So, vice pressure. It's a win-win all the time, Glenn. Thanks a bunch. All right. First up tonight, our first panelist is Katie. She is a multimedia sports journalist, a CEO of her own company. She's a color commentator, a journalist, and she also has done announcing at Jumping World Cups. Uh, she's announced show jumping events across the globe, moderate, moderated at the FEI uh, Sports Forum in Switzerland, and is set to be, get this, the chief liaison officer for Olympic Broadcast Services at the Tokyo Olympics. I am just a little bit jealous, Katie. Just a little bit jealous, I have to say. <laughs> that is so cool. Uh, I'd be lying if I if I said I wasn't excited. It's it's a tremendous opportunity um, and, an, and an incredible honor. So I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, of course, it's been uh, a bit of an unprecedented year, um, and this should already have happened. But um, I know it's going to be worth the wait. So I'm very excited. Can I tell you how impressed I am, by the way, of you? You are one of the award winners this year, but how impressed I am of any announcer who can announce at a horse show, one, get all the names right, because I'm not very good at that, uh, and just remembering all the little tidbits and of information about the riders to make it interesting for the spectators, right, or for the people watching, that's a skill that is just unbelievable. Thank you. You know, of course, it takes practice. Um, and I've always been uh, a bit of a uh, one, a, a nerd, just generally um, <laughs> and of our sport <laughs> and of languages. So that certainly helped me with names. And, um, you know, I don't I don't go into anything blind. I do so much research. So I'm not just spewing those facts off the top of my head. Some, of course, I've gotten to know the riders and horses. I've seen these combinations, you know, throughout the country and, you know, in multiple times. And I build off that knowledge every time I see a combination on course. Uh, but of course, I always have notes. So don't think that it's all just memorization. I promise I'm not, not that perfect. Yeah, but I mean, talk about multitasking. An announcer is the best multitasker in the world because you're you're really thinking ahead you're you're doing a do dozen different things at one time it's amazing <laughs> yeah i mean it's incredible well done i'm very impressed by that we're going to talk a little bit more about your business uh later on in the show as well but let's bring your fellow award winner on we have tori with us hi tori hi. thank you so much for having me glenn now, you're a journalist, uh, a photographer. You're also a, a writer. You founded uh, Equestrian Cooperative Nonprofit this past year. And you're just, you've done so many cool things. What are you most proud of in what you've done in media? I would say co-founding the Equestrian Cooperative. That was an initiative that three fellow equestrians and I First, following the um, murder of George Floyd, and you know, we assessed our industry and said we can be doing a lot more to foster diversity and inclusivity, and to just engage equestrians in social activism. And I think people have responded well to the initiative thus far and the efforts. And I think there's a lot of space for change going forward. 
I'm impressed with you too because it took you guys to it's a lot of work to do something like this, right? I mean, it right. takes work to to be to act be an activist for anything, really. Okay. Um and you know, you took the time and initiative to do it. Yeah, people it's not always easy, I think, for anyone to speak out or to ask questions, but I think the equestrian community has shown us that people are receptive and are curious and are open to, you know, putting themselves out there to see what they can do and what they can learn to create change, longstanding change. I think it's interesting. The last, by the way, if you, if anybody missed it, you can go back and listen to the last stable scoop show we did. It was a panel on diversity. And one of the things I think that came out and that I've learned over the past couple of years is we, sometimes we as in my case, old white guy, right? Um, We don't know what we don't know either. Right. We we have to learn and we have to be open minded to learn because we don't know what we don't know. Um, and I think that over the last year, we've all learned more. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Know? And as I've had conversations with people, you know, our sport is predominantly white. So I've had, you know, riders and industry personnel just reach out to me and talk about their own um, anxieties with regards to speaking out and what can they do to help and everything like that. But I think for the general audience, people have to realize that for a lot of people, including myself as a person of color, you know, diversity and championing diversity isn't so much an initiative as it is our reality. So I think once people realize the weight of how we feel and, you know, the change that is necessary, I don't I don't think it will be problematic to bring people on board and to create, you know, organizations and initiatives that can take us forward. We're going to talk more about that later in the show. So we'll get back to that topic. Hold on to that, Tori. Let's introduce our last panelist here. And she's somebody that I've worked with personally for many, many, many years, Stephanie Church of thehorse.com. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Glenn. I think we started working uh, the day we started with uh, Horses in the Morning, which, by the way, is now 2,660 episodes ago, 10 years ago, we had the horse on, I think, in the first week or two as a regular contributor, wow. and we've been working with you guys ever since. So the, everybody knows thehorse.com. I don't know that we need to explain that, but we'll we'll talk a little bit more about the, uh, the publication a little bit later as well. How long have you been there? I have been there going on 22, t- 22 years. Yes. Wow. <laughs> it's... <laughs> Unbelievable. I don't know where the time went. <laughs> I don't know anybody that's had a job for 22 years, to be honest, the same job. <laughs> that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> I know. It's, it's very rare. I'm doing exactly what I was trained to do. And I luckily enough have had six different roles during that time at the horse. So, And now you're the big boss, the big cheese. I've been the editor-in-chief <laughs> since uh, 2010, and I have an amazing team that I love working with every day. And um, it's amazing how much just a few of us can do and accomplish there. I mean, we are an editorial team of three, and then our total company is um, nine. Yeah. And are you still in the same office when I visited you like 10 years ago with the no. barn doors? Oh, that was the coolest no, office ever. that was ever. a very cool office. <laughs> yes, we loved that. Yeah. All the offices had barn doors that you slid open and shut and to the offices. It was very cool. <laughs> we, we have offices that we love even more now, but we don't have any sliding barn doors anymore. <laughs> I'm going back to so my impressed. stall. 
That's what it was. It was so cool. All right. We're going to get to the first question here, guys. And I'm going to, you each had to come up with your own questions. So you guys drive the conversation tonight. And I think, Katie, you were the first up tonight. Tell us what your question is. And and this is meant to be a conversation amongst you guys. I'm here to direct traffic. So uh, go ahead, Katie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, through my work, we're constantly trying to promote our sport. And I think as media entities, that's that's all what we're trying to do as well. We're sharing great stories, but we also want to reach more people and bring new fans into the sport. And through commentating, live streams, broadcasts, this is an especially big goal. Um, So my question was, what can we do? What are some things that we can do to help increase the exposure of our sport and bring in new fans? What are we missing? What can we improve upon? Stephanie, you want to start? Sure. Okay. Well, um, I live right here in Lexington, Kentucky. So the proximity to horse events is just amazing for everyone, whether you're a horse person or not a horse person. So we have the Kentucky Horse Park about seven minutes away. And um, if you go to the Kentucky Horse Park as a general member of the public, you can watch or a show, you can go to a museum and learn about the history of horses and racing, and you can see different breeds of horses. Um, so there, we have more opportunities here that I realize in most places to, to promote our sport. Um, but what I've done myself personally, I'll just start there, is I have several, several, several friends who are not horse people, and I have taken them with me out to watch the Land Rover eventing and have kind of explained what's going on. Um, uh, my significant other, he is not a horseman, and so I try to explain eventing to him by watching YouTube to sit down with him one-on-one and say, okay, this is, this is Totalus. He is the greatest dressage horse we've seen in a very long time, that kind of thing. And um, I, I invited him out to a cross-country clinic to watch me ride so he could just see all levels of riders and um, things like that. Um, something that we have here in Kentucky on some Friday nights throughout the summer is we have show jumping that we can take people out and go watch show jumping. And so if you take people who are unfamiliar with the sport and get, you know, it's a low stress environment to, um, you know, to Im- immerse them in the sport. Those are ty- the types of things that I've done personally. Um, I'd be interested in hearing some of your ideas. Tori. Yeah. So Katie, I love that question. It's something that's of ongoing discussion in, Um, you know, the Olympic disciplines. And it's a big question right now in show jumping, you can see that the Olympic structure has been completely redesigned with the three team format, no drop score, and no reserve ride. And I think that was with the intention of making it more digestible and inclusive for people who don't really follow the sport, because it's not within the mainstream. Stephanie, kind of touching back to your point of exposure and exposing, exposing people to the industry, I think, one problem that we really have and you know federations really need to look at is that for someone like myself I can look at LeBron James and really admire what he does with a basketball because I know personally that I can't dribble a basketball to save my life so I know how difficult it is and how talented he must be to be able to do what he does and I think for people who aren't a part of our sport it's very hard to everything they know unless you've been on a horse and you know how extensive it is and how taxing it can be to simply get a horse to trot and keep a horse in the trot unless you really know the time and effort and dedication that goes into making this into what it is everything you know or or think you know of the sport is simply speculation you know people don't have access to getting on a horse and trying it for themselves 
yes, equestrian is a very visible visual sport and that you can watch a horse going over a jump and you can kind of gauge what's going on. But for us riders, we know it's very feeling based. And so in the same breath, it's not very visual because the intricacies and the subtleties, that's not something you can see. So I think people really need to be able to get in the saddle and experience it for themselves. And I think once people are able to do that, the sport will grow. Because if you talk to anyone, if you if you're on the street and you you know, go up to a, sp- a stranger and have conversation and say, you know, I mean, I ride horses or I work with horses, anything like that. People are automatically engaged and curious because mm-hmm. genuinely people love horses and are fascinated by them. So I think it's more so about how can we get more people on horses? And then I think that will grow from there. But as media personnel, I think what we can continue to do is just break down the dynamic between horse and rider and explain to people what makes this you know union so special it's not easy being an equestrian because i think for the mainstream audience people don't really recognize that you know not only is this a sport but that equestrians are athletes and i think that's also another factor to think about is with a you know when you look at the olympics we know how hard it is and how hard people have to work to get there but i think if someone turns on the TV and sees a horse doing dressage or jumping over fences, they think the horse does all the work, you know, why is this an Olympic sport? So I think it's really about, as I said, just getting people in the saddle and allowing them to, you know, feel that connection with the bit and right. Just experience what we know the sport to be and what we know the, the horse and rider partnership to be. Katie, I want to go back to you to answer your own question. But first, I want to say, <laughs> listeners that are watching live, give us your answer. I want to see what you have to say about this. Do you have ideas about how to get more people interested in horse sport? You're an announcer. You do this for a living. What are, you, what, what are your thoughts? Um, well, Stephanie and Tori, you brought up great points. Um, and, and one thing I kind of harp on is education. And Stephanie, you do that every day at the horse. Your publication is just it's full of information on horse health and all of this data that, you know, you're educating even horse people, you know, learning about new things about their horses, uh, which is, makes it such a great read. Um, Tori is speaking to what you said. You're hundred percent right. And as writers, we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot a little bit because we're trained to make it look so easy and people don't realize how difficult it is until you get in the saddle and go to pick up the trot and realize my word, there are some really unique muscles being put to use here and the balance and the feel and all of these things. Um, As an announcer, what I'm really striving for, would love to see change in the industry is the amount of data. Um, I grew up in a very um, traditional sports family. My father played hockey and we watched, you know, every mainstream sporting event. Um, You know, I, I rode from a young age and loved horses, but it wasn't what we were, you know, watching on TV or on the computer or talking about, um, you know, ESPN was on our TV 24 seven on sports center. And I think people, what draws them into mainstream sports is that there's all this data. So if you don't know a whole lot about the sport, you can look and see, okay, well, this picture has a very low ERA um, and this you know, batter has a, a tremendous batting average. So I'm going to root for that person. Um, you know, I think that person's pretty good. Um, in our sport, you just see a, a stat sheet with names of the horse, the owner and the rider. 
but you don't know how many clear rounds that they've jumped recently, how long that combination has been together, um, the amount of experience they've had at a certain height or level. Um, you know, you can dig deep uh, into, you know, the FBI has a tremendous, you know, data platform, but you have to dig to find it and have to know. I would love for more data to be readily available. I'd love for more easily digestible data like, you know, a clear round percentage in the last year, number of five stars competed, um, not just the ranking, because in our sport, there are just so many athletes that someone ranks 200th is actually doing pretty well. Um, but for someone just tuning in might not understand that. Um, so I would love to see more data in our sport, because I think once you understand something, it makes it easier to follow and then you want to follow again. And I see, you know, liking it, Stephanie, you'll know horse racing. Of course, you have a former graded stakes winner, um, you know, in your barn and people love horse racing because they can look at the racing form and pick the favorite and put a couple dollars down. And when that horse wins, they feel connected and they want to go again. I'm not saying that gambling is the answer in other equestrian disciplines, but I think just having more of that data and something that you could say, you know, McLean Ward, he sure wins a lot. I'm going to, I'm going to root for him and follow. And when he wins, say, oh, wow, like I know something and I'm going to take this information and maybe learn a little bit more. So that's what I would love to see happen. I'm going to add to that too. Podcasting statistics just came out from the most recent survey and it's a very large survey. And the number one reason people listen to podcasts now is entertainment. And then education is second. So I've always said for since I married into this horse thing 30 years ago, and she drug me to horse shows. Um, and I was a horse husband who knew nothing about horses. So I was one of those people you guys are talking about, right? Uh, but I went to the horse shows. And I loved the horse shows that also had something else that drew people in. Fairhill was great at that. They had a dog show, they had all kinds of other activities that would draw the general public in and oh, they would watch horses. And now all of a sudden, they, they might develop an interest in that. Devin, I was so devastated to see Devin was canceled this year again. Devin Fair and Horse Show is a perfect venue for that and a perfect example. They draw them in also with the fair that's going on, but then they're also watching horses. So as far as getting people there in person, I think you're all right. They have to get there. They have to develop some interest in it somehow by seeing it. And then maybe that translates into TV watching and, and all of that. But there has to be some impetus, whether they're, they're being drug out there by their new wife uh, or friends or whatever. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. That's what you have to find a spark. There has to be that spark, whatever that spark is. And I think we're all getting better. I think there's, look at Wellington. They make that a party on Saturday nights and non-horse people come out, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's a, it's a whole event. It's not just jumping. It's an event. You know, so I think that's the kind of thing we also need to do. Hopefully the World Equestrian Center and, you know, Kentucky Horse Park has done that with with Land Rover. Uh, so I think we're going to see more of that uh, coming. I think we're figuring that out. And then announcers who make it fun. Mm -hmm. uh. <laughs> yeah, we, we try not just to spew data. We want to share the backstories behind it as well. And that's what I'm always striving to do because, you know, there's a lot of heart and a lot of hard work that goes behind every partnership. And uh, if we can share that, and that's a heartwarming story that someone wants to follow, it, it does provide a, a little bit more context that I, I think is interesting. Look, we're going to wrap up this question, but I love what Kimberly said. Look at the growth of poker, darts, and they even show cornhole tournaments on ESPN now. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I love curling. I love watching curling on, on, on the Olympic channel. 
I really do. It's, it's great. It's very soothing, curling. <laughs> All right, uh, let's talk about our sponsor for this particular episode, and we really appreciate them continuing their sponsorship, and that's Arena Saddles. Uh, you can find Arena Saddles. They're perfect in any arena. They are available in dressage, jumping, and all-purpose models, all classically crafted from beautiful European leather. With meticulous attention to detail, you will turn heads in any arena with the confidence that your saddle is comfortable for you and your horse. Whether you're nailing your canter transition at sea, perfecting a five-stride line in the three-foot division, or galloping the countryside with wild abandon, there is a perfect arena saddle for you. Go to arenasaddles.com to learn more and to find a retailer. That's arenasaddles.com. All right, Stephanie, I think you had the next question. Yes, I do. So um, I know that culturally we hear a lot about how millennials uh, or Generation Y are unwilling to put in the work obsessed with their phones, yet afraid to talk on them, and they don't have the discipline and determination to carry our industry forward. Um, So that's culturally, but we read about it on people's Facebook posts too, you know, generally older members of the industry wondering how in the world our industry is going to move forward in the hands of the younger people. But um, my take is that's a big misconception. I've managed and I've worked with millennials and they're some of the hardest working, most efficient people with a sharp eye for what will make a story or a business successful. So I'm just curious, ladies, if you have experienced those attitudes and what you would say to those attitudes. Tori, you want to leave? Per- yeah, sure. I personally haven't. I mean, you know, with family, they'll make jokes like you kids just do this and you just do that. And back in my day, but I think within the workspace, I work with a predominantly young team and we are all hardworking and dedicated, but I think I don't like the general or the generally, sorry, generational generalizations because I think they miss the bigger picture. So the Gen Z and the millennial population that I know, we're very passionate, but we're also very purpose-driven. And I think that's a shift maybe from the boomer generation. You know, we're, we're not afraid to pivot from tradition and to cultivate workspaces and lifestyles that best suit us and can best allow us to be our, you know, follow our purpose and, you know, destinies and life paths. But I think that it's, it's a matter of people really finding what works for them. And I, I think it can be threatening when you're so used to, you know, the, maybe the nine to five, for example, and then you see m- millennials or Gen Z come and say, you know, we want to break up the workday and it's not so much that we're lazy or that we don't have motivation or work ethic, but we're just not afraid to avert from the status quo and find what works for us. Mm-hmm. Katie? Socially, I, I get a lot of it, um, especially because um, I I look particularly young uh, for my age. A lot of people, I get more people ask me how old I am, but just it's constant. Um you, you can know, drink, right? You can drink, right? <laughs> um, I love actually. I'd love to get carded now. Now, when you get <laughs> a certain age, it's like, hey, <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, why didn't you card me? <laughs> um, but um, you know, it, it would be when they would be, oh, you're a millennial. You'd kind of like shirk away, not want to admit it. Um, but I, I do find that it's really just a a stereotype. Um, I work with so many um, young men and women that are just vibrant and enthusiastic and have so many great ideas. Um, You know, I think 
our group comes with, yes, we are, we are glued to our phones. Um, and I think, but I do think it's something that you kind of outgrow a little bit as you, as you reach a certain point in your career. Um, you know, when you're out of school and you really need to start networking and communicating with people, the real way to form those relationships is by talking to them, putting down your phone and doing all those things. I feel like I'm on the phone constantly talking to people, uh, much more than texting. I'm, I get calls all day. Um, and I won't lie early on, you know, I had anxiety about hitting that call button um, at times. Um, and now, you know, I'm just so comfortable with it. So I think it is something that we're so used to just being, you know, on technology. It brings a very unique skill set um, that allows us to do a lot of really great things. Um, but I, I do think that there comes a point where you just have to you know, get out there, put yourself out there a little bit more. I think sometimes your phone can be a little bit of a security blanket in social situations or even in the workplace. You're new, you're young, you're, you're still kind of learning. You don't want to have that awkward silence. So you kind of look on your phone and, and you can always do something. Um, so I think, again, it's just something that you kind of outgrow. Um, but I would say that that our generation, you know, there are a lot of great ones out there. Um, and thanks to people like Stephanie that give us opportunities. Stephanie, as a student award winner, she, you know, gave me opportunities to write for her off track thoroughbred magazine. And I'm still proud to write for that magazine and love working with them. And, uh, you know, uh, her partner in that and endeavor, Alex, I believe was also a nominee nominee for the next gen and is a wonderfully talented, amazing human. Um, so, and, and those are just a couple. So, um, you know, thankful to people like Stephanie that, fully, fully don't, don't play by the stereotype. Uh, I'm going to go to you next, Stephanie, but I just wanted to say I'm a long way from millennial and I hate talking on the phone too. So uh, <laughs> thank I, you. I think that's universal now, actually. Go ahead, Stephanie. I, I'm, I'm an extrovert, so I, I enjoy it. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's something that it's something that was my lifeline during 2020. That's for sure. So, um, Yes, I am. I am so grateful for Alex and for um, you and Tori. You guys are just so inspiring to me, and I'm confident that our equine media is going to be carried forward very well in your hands. So, how can we encourage um, individuals in your age group and, and embrace them and embrace you as you move forward? Well, I think the HP Student Award is a great start. I, I would love to see, and I think a lot of people in our industry, uh, you know, some know about it, but I would love to see more people learn about it. I'm constantly telling young people that I see have an interest in, in the area to apply because I think it really does help you network and connect you with people and really throws you into that professional atmosphere within our industry, which is amazing. Um, so I would love to see more of that. You know, our sport is filled with tradition and history. And there is a lot of an older demographic, um, you know, in especially in places of administrative authority and things like that uh, in, in commentary. And when I worked in horse racing, um, fresh out of college, my co-host was a good 30 years older than I. Um, when I'm on air, the majority of my co-hosts are male and at least 10 years older than I. And so we're bridging the gap. Um, you know, and they're all, they've all been wonderful and wonderfully accepting. Um, but we just could use a little bit more. So I'd love to see just some more, I think, awareness and programs like the student award and now the next gen award. It is a great start within our industry. How about you, Tori? 
I, I just think it's important for us all to encourage the youth to remember that, you know, we are in charge of our lives and we can cultivate the life we want. I think in this industry, it's easy to get lost in the thought process of, oh, I, I love writing so much. I have to be a writer. But you can actually, you know, there are different career paths. You can be a journalist. You can be a reporter like Katie. You know, there you have options. So I think it's it's about helping people cultivate their talents and their strengths and just helping them figure out the next step to get to where they want to be. I'm going to come at it from the older guy point of view here um, and just say that I think and most I have 35 hosts now on the, on the shows and they're all younger than me. So uh, but I think you guys work smarter. We were taught as a generation you had to work hard. That was what we were taught. And you went to a factory or you went to work or you went to an office and you worked 800 hours a week and you just worked hard. I think now that millennials have taught us all that we have to work smarter, not harder. And I think that's what you've brought to the table. And you, you, and th- for us to look at that makes it look like you're not working harder, right? Because you are working smarter. You're doing a better job than us in a shorter period of time. And that's something that I think I've had to learn over the years is I need to do a better job in a shorter period of time. And I've learned that from some of my younger colleagues. And, you know, even in podcasting now, we have more millennials getting the podcast. They were very late to the game. It was, it was all old, old guys like me who started podcasting. And now it's millennials and 20-year-olds and teenagers that are getting into podcasting. So that's changed over time. But I think you guys, I didn't, do you agree? You, you work smarter. That's how you work. And and that is perceived by people like me as lazy, right? right. Because that's what we see. We I work smart and hard. We, well, yeah, but less hours than me, I hope, Katie. <laughs> Go ahead, Tori. Sorry. Oh, I'm just saying that we have a lot more options. We can be flexible. You know, we don't have to stick to a rigid structure. And I think for the older generation, they're so used to concreteness and anything, any aversion from that can seem as, can seem like dysfunction in a sense, but you know, we're functioning fine. I just, <laughs> I do think, that, I do think there is an issue maybe with us being very dependent on technology, but I think hopefully that's something we can all grow out of and learn to use it as more of a, um, not so much as a function and, you know, the first thing you do when you wake up, but just as like a means of furthering our career. Or God, I hope we don't grow out of it because the whole, uh, that's the only reason we're here right now is technology. It's the reason well, I have maybe, a job. <laughs> maybe grow out of the dependency a little bit. Gotcha. Yeah. Stephanie, you want to get a last word in here on this? Well, I've, I've just been encouraged by, um, I, I think you guys are both Generation Z. No, you're Generation Y. I'm Generation X. And there are a few Generation Zs that are in HP, the student program right now. Um, and one of them reached out to me a few years ago and just wanted to know, hey, is equine media for me? And we talked for about a half an hour. And as I understand it, she's one of the finalists, I believe, for the student award this year. So mm-hmm. I'm encouraged by the um, tenacity of um, this age group and how they're willing to go after what they want. So, oh, and flexibility. I, I'm, I meant to say <laughs> flexibility and work schedules um, has just been so important to our team um, 
So, you know, someone has a little bit of flexibility in their day, they can run out and they can take a lesson during lunch and come back to the office and work a little bit later. And um, it's, it's great for um, us to get out and move our bodies. And it's great out, great for us to get out and spend some time with our horse and it, um, it fuels our creativity. So um, I've, I've learned a lot from um, watching that need to be flexible on our team. I want to remind everybody that uh, tonight was put together by Chris from American Horse Publications. And thank you, Chris. We appreciate you putting this together tonight and getting getting everybody rounded up. Uh, I wanted to also mention, uh, well, we want to give the panelists a chance to promote themselves here a little bit as well. So, of course, let's start with Katie. Let's talk a little bit about your business. I love this picture of you, by the way. <laughs> Just love that. Thank you. This was from um, the World Cup. Um, uh, launching FBA Jumping World Cup of Vancouver. It looks like somebody, Park. some guy just mooned you from across the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I was intently waiting for uh, one of my interviews and we were getting very close uh, to running out of airtime. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, that was at one of my favorite venues at Thunderbird Show Park in uh, Vancouver, BC. Um, but... Um, my business is Katie Stasek Media. I started it up uh, in 2018. It has evolved and just grown by leaps and bounds. I, I'm incredibly grateful. Um, it's a boutique media agency. I represent a few international writers, businesses um, in the industry, uh, figures as well. And, um, you know, it's storytelling based PR is how I kind of phrase it and marketing. Um, so uh, it's gone very well. It's a great group. And then, of course, I do um, my commentary and press uh, for the World Cup season um, and headed to Tokyo. So I try to keep myself diversified and it, it certainly keeps me busy. Do you have a social life at all? Uh um, <laughs> My horse would think so. He gets attention. <laughs> My boyfriend might not think so. <laughs> yeah, um, we we learn very quickly that we definitely are second. Uh, <laughs> we learn that. All right, Stephanie. Yes. I, I, so if you're not familiar with thehorse.com, we are devoted to um, to educating the horse owner on um, all things horse health, um, everything from research to behavior and uh, we basically take the really complicated concepts and we translate them into something that the layperson can understand. We're also a great tool for the veterinarian um, in going to their clients. We have the monthly uh, magazine, which is uh, subscription-based. And then we also have the website. And I think more than 30 newsletters go out a month. I may be undercounting that. We also have um, an Ask the Horse Live, which is a live event where we feature different health topics and experts, and that gets turned into a podcast. And we also have an Equine Innovators, Equine Innovators podcast, which is talking to researchers about um, new research that is coming out. And um, we'd love for to have you at thehorse.com if you're not already a follower, a fan, a follower, or a subscriber. And I want to give a plug, too, for American Horse Publications. If you're in the media and you're not a member of American Horse Publications, you should be. Let's start with that. Yeah. Uh, it, <laughs> it's uh, American. Just search for American Horse Publications. You'll find it. Uh, pull up the website, and you'll see all the information on there, how to become a member, and what they what they can do for you. 
Uh, also, I need to give a quick plug. If uh, if you miss any part of this show and, or miss the beginning of it and want to hear the rest of it, just go to stablescoop.com or look for Stable Scoop on your podcast player. It's the longest-running equestrian podcast. We That show started in 2008, so we've been doing this for a long time. And you can find Stable Scoop on there and then listen in audio form to the rest of it. I also did want to mention something that we're doing later in the year. This is the first time that I don't know anybody doing this yet. I think we're we're leading this band too. I've always wanted to get out and meet the listeners, and we have ten, tens of thousands of them. So we're going to get on the road. We're going to take our RV, and we're going to go, my wife and I, for five weeks. We're going to visit 14 states and about 20 different farms, listener farms. We're going to do concerts and we're trail rides. We're going to have meetups. Uh, we're going to do group trail rides and, and state parks and forests. And we're going to film. We're going to do audio and video on this one. We're going to do Horses in the Morning from the Road from people's barns and then we're also going to do weekly travel videos travel vlogs with this as well so you get to see fellow listeners horses barns and all different kinds of things i don't know if we're nuts we're going to find out in august whether this is a crazy idea or not but we're looking forward to it and there'll be more about that coming as well with details about where all the meetups are and how we can all get together we did it in august because we figured we'd all have vaccines by then that want them people who want them will have them and we'll be able to get together again and get the hell out of the house so uh, i'm looking forward to that um let's go to question number three our final question with tori so katie and stephanie my question is i'd like you guys to talk about what you believe the media's role should be in highlighting diversity within the equestrian community well i'll go ahead and start if that's all right um Mm -hmm. As far as uh, from a media standpoint, as an editor, I know that I can be mindful and I want to be mindful about pursuing owners, um, photos of horse owners and riders from various racial and ethnic backgrounds. And that also goes to, um, to how I choose my sources. Um, you know, the so our sources are often veterinarians. And, um, and until I go to a conference, I don't often see the wide variety of people who are in the room at the, like the American Association of Equine Practitioners Convention, for example. And so um, I need to make sure that I represent that, um, that population in my sources and my writing in my writers and also in my, in my photos. And that's something that I, uh, I am striving to do. Um, Katie, you're, yeah, you're coming from a, from a little different perspective. So. Yeah. For myself as um, you know, from a writing perspective, um, I, you know, I've loved in the past to feature up and coming writers. Um, and actually it was what, uh, won me my very first AHP award when I was, um, a college student was a feature I wrote on, uh, Niel Nassar, um, who is now an incredibly successful writer at the top levels of our sport and, uh, likely also headed to Tokyo, uh, should the games, uh, move on mm-hmm. as planned. Um, So for me, I would love to, you know, I will take a closer look as I'm looking at writers that I can feature to make sure that I am featuring more diverse, a diverse set of writers and me going and making that extra effort to say, you know, who is out there that I can give a platform to, because that's the gift and the ability that we have as journalists, writers, media content creators, we can give people a platform. Um, when I'm on podcasts or co-hosting a podcast, um, you know, I've been fortunate. We've, we've been able to 
make that effort already and feature some more diverse riders. And when I had those riders on, I said, what, what do you want to share and what do you want, what can we do and how can we give you this platform as we give you the platform? How can we help you make the most of it? Um, so that is what I would like to do um, across all the platforms uh, that I'm able and fortunate to work with in media. Tori, what's your thoughts? I I like the points you guys made. I think, you know, this past year, there's been a lot of dialogue on diversity. And I think it's kind of been a shock to me how, you know, from the standpoint of me being usually the only Black person at a show oftentimes, or the Black person within, the only Black person within media at a show, I've, I've really learned that at the grassroots level of the sports, it is very rich in diversity and culture. It's just at the elite level, you don't see that representation much. So I do think that within media, we have a responsibility to, to show the representation that's there. My coworker at the Chronicle, Molly Bailey, just did an incredible story on Barry Porta. And he's this top you know, trainer, well-respected person. And I had no idea he was a part of our industry. Mm -hmm. So there are people here and, you know, as stories have come up more and I've done more stories on people of color, I kind of feel ashamed at times because here are these incredible stories that have never been covered before people who have never been acknowledged and are people who are making as much contribution as everyone else, you know? So I just think we have greater responsibility to, to, to reach out, to, to do our research and, to find the people within our industry who are making contributions because they for, sh- for sure are there. And then once people see that representation, I think, I think that's how we kind of help the sport grow. From the, from the horse radio network point of view, uh, you know, we have 20 shows, 35 hosts and have done almost 12,000 episodes now and had 13,000 guests over the years. It's been an incredible numbers. We've been inclusive the whole time, but I would like to say I did that intentionally. I didn't. It's just something we've done. Uh, you know, I, I, it's not by accident. It's just, it's just the way we have done business all this time. You know, our, our, our production company is headed by an African-American woman. She handles all our production for all our shows, does a tremendous job, Flintstone Media, give her a plug. Um, and she does a great job with that. Uh, we have hosts that are African-American. This company is partly owned by an Asian. You think you're a minority. Try Asians in the horse world in the United States. That's a real minority right there. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, uh, she always joked that she was the only uh, Asian carriage driver in the country. Um, I think there's one mother now. So, um you know, we've worked with Black Reigns Magazine. I want to give them a shout out, too. For years now, we've had guests. They bring guests on once a month to our show. And I did it because they, they bring us the best guests. It wasn't necessarily because they were African-American or, or black or anything. It's just they're really good guests. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I've done it by accident, I think. Um, so I'm not taking credit for doing anything intentionally. Uh, but I, I think that's the point, right? And I've taken criticism recently for not being more upfront about the situation with African-Americans and not getting political. We don't get political on our shows. It's something we don't do with any kind of politics, even even horse politics. We don't do too much. Um, but I think what we've tried to do is highlight the people doing making positive inroads into the horse community, and they happen to be African-American or Asian or whatever they are. We're highlighting the positive of that. And I, I don't know. I think that's also, that also brings the message out there, maybe in a more subtle way than beating people over the head with a bat. I don't know. Am I wrong, Tori? Um, 
I mean, to a degree, because I don't think it's so much about cherry picking and just putting people on covers for the sake of doing it and saying, you know, here we are making the sport more diverse. But I think it's about recognizing that there are people within the industry making equal amounts of contributions that are not being recognized more than likely because they are people of color. And this is just not something we discuss or, or talk about. So I think... And it, for me, it's it's uncomfortable now that I've, you know, we've been doing more stories and pr- the majority of the stories I write at the Chronicle are about white people. And as we've been doing more stories with people of color, I kind of feel like I've, you know, been part of the injustice to the, the minority writers who have not been covered and acknowledged when they're, you know, just as large a part of our sport. So I think it's... You know, it's not the easiest topic for a lot of people, but I think it's important. It's it's a part of life. You know, diversity is this is the world we live in and it should be reflected by the media in the media. Have you had conversations, Tori, with and you don't need to name names here, but with the top writers in the industry? I think Mm -hmm. it comes back to what we talked about at the beginning of the show. They didn't know what they didn't know either. Right. I mean, it's not that they were intentionally trying to be exclusive. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just they didn't know. So what are your conversations been with those top writers? So, I mean, I spoke to McLean Ward early, I think earlier last year, and he's not it's it's fine that I mentioned him because okay. I've talked about it. But you know, I think after George Floyd passed away, he was murdered, and I wrote an article about the spectrum of discomforts, where basically this is an uncomfortable subject for a lot of people. Me being a person of color, it's uncomfortable for me because it's not something I want to have to deal with. I don't want to be uncomfortable as the only black person it shows. And for you know, I don't if not going to go, we're not going to get political, but if, you know, and for white people as well, it's uncom- it can be uncomfortable because this is not something that a lot of people within our sport discuss. So it's a new territory for a lot of people within the industry and something I've spoken to McLean about and he's expressed to me, it's, you know, he, he very much wants to be a part of the conversation. He wants to be a part of the solution, but he doesn't have all the answers. You know, he's not the authority on this he doesn't want to also say the wrong thing or offend anyone. So I think going forward, how we really create change is having more of those discussions and in me saying I'm uncomfortable and you saying you're uncomfortable and then we can meet, you know, on, on middle ground and, and find a way to move past that discomfort to create actual change. That's how we all learn, right? I mean, it's the only way we learn. That's the only way it's going to get done. Katie, you're in that world. You're in the world of jumping and and internationally, right? So you see this probably more than the rest of us on an international scale. What what are the thoughts internationally? Can you bring us that perspective to it? Sure. I mean, um, you know, we see. I mean, at, in Wellington, for example, we see you know riders from all over the world. Um, but I think you know, as as Tori said, you know, it's it's a difficult conversation to have, and sometimes you say, "Well, I don't feel that way." But then you have to, okay, well, that's, you're still not, you know, you're not helping, you know, just because you don't feel that way, you have to take a step back and say, well, what is that person experiencing? Can I put myself in their shoes? And what can I, what can I do to help? Um, And again, that's where I think, you know, asking questions, um, you know, like USCF has started a a DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion program, and they have uh, some online chats that I've been tuning into and listening to. And I think learning about the different programs out there that help support this, we again can give a platform and and it's also about education. Um, I think internationally seeing riders, you know, you do see 
more diversity the more you travel around the world and just see people that are different from you. Um, and I think, you know, it's in our sports sometimes, you know, even just in the way that the sport is judged, we're taught, you know, to be the same. And sometimes what's different is, is scary. And I think that in itself is just something that needs to change. Um, so I think it's, it's something that you can learn from everyone around the world that you see that's different. And I think this is an opportunity to learn more um, and share the great things that other people are doing and take their lessons and we can learn something from everybody. We had a conversation about Appaloosa's horses in the hunter ring the other day. So yeah, they, they're feeling that way too. Um, <laughs> uh, Stephanie, do you want to add anything to this before we wrap it up? I think these ladies, ladies have described um, very well um, their own experiences. Um, I've, I've just been very excited to see the media and the various social media accounts highlight the contributions of um, men and women in the horse industry from various racial and ethnic backgrounds in the past year. Um, I've, I really, I'm saddened that it took the murder of George Floyd to make people pay attention. I'm saddened that that's what it took, but I am very glad that I am starting to see the horse women and men who are um, um, from various racial backgrounds that are being highlighted and in the, in the mass, in the main media too. Um, didn't you interview Tori Bri Brianna? Yeah, Brianna Noble. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, it, it brings me a lot of joy to see these uh, women and men, um, their voices amplified in the in the mass media as well. Very good, guys. Let's bring Chris back in and thank her because she's the one that set this all up. Chris, <laughs> thank you so much for putting this all together tonight. Oh, my God. It's just awesome listening to everybody. This is Great topics. And Are you proud of your children over here? I am very proud of my <laughs> I am very proud of my children. I, I, I agree. I feel the equine media industry is in good hands. And I, I think do, as being like as one of the older people, <laughs> I'm thinking, oh God, am I like that? <laughs> am I just stuck in rigid concrete? <laughs> oh God, but you know what? I, I think the fact is that publishing has gone through a bunch of changes over the years, and it's been hard to kind of like you know adapt. But at if you stay in it long enough, it's like my dad always say, you know, to be comfortable, you for it to be comfortable, you just have to keep doing it. You have to keep doing it. All of a sudden, this is comfortable now. It feels good. So um, this is what's happened with media. You know, if you want to get stuck in the print part of the world, you just cut yourself off, really. There's a whole world out there that we're doing, and young people can really, really make that happen for us. And we just we do have to pay attention more to you. You that was a wake up call. And um, thank God, because Chris and I want to retire at some point. Yeah, that's what I'm <laughs> well, with us and I mean, with horses and media are just that passion, and when you have it, you're part of this group. You're you're just you're in the club. So we all feel very much, I think, the same. And that bond is very special. So no matter what age you are. Well, you do a great job running the ship. I wanted to thank you for that. And, and it is American Horse Publications, if you want to go check that out. Stephanie is over there at thehorse.com. And Katie, what's your website again? Uh, KatieStazakMedia.com and uh, on social media as well at KatieStazakMedia. And Tori, you write for The Chronicle too, don't you? I do. I write for The Chronicle of the Horse. 
Yeah, yeah, that's another. We've been working with them for 12 years, too, over at the Chronicle. We're friends with everybody over there. So thank you all for joining us. We really appreciate it. If you missed any part of today's show, go to StableScoop.com. Don't forget, we have 20 uh, different podcasts on the Horse Radio Network at HorseRadioNetwork.com. You can find a little bit of everything over there. And I do a show called Horses in the Morning. We are there every day, five days a week, just entertaining and having a good time. And maybe you'll learn something along the way as well. Search for that at Horses in the Morning on your favorite podcast player. That's it for everybody. We'll be back again in a couple of weeks with a different roundtable of panelists. Happy scooping, everybody. Hi, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.